Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Bar. The Bar on Healthcare is a podcast produced by the Aon Health Solutions Group, focusing on developments in federal and state health and welfare law and their impact on employer group health plans. I'm J.D. Pirro of the Legal Consulting Group. And hi, everyone. I'm Carrie Willis, also with the Legal Consulting Group. If you're listening to this podcast on Aon.com, we're so glad to have you with us, but it'd be easier for you and frankly, better for us if you made us part of your regular podcast feed. Just search for The Bar on Healthcare on any of the streaming services where you normally get your podcasts, from Google Play to Apple Podcasts to Stitcher. Then subscribe, tell your friends, and please leave us a kind review. And JD, the bar is open. Come right in, your favorite spot awaits. And we have a special episode of The Bar for you today, a crossover event, the biggest crossover event since the guys from Hawaii Five O went to visit the crew from NCIS. Two of our colleagues from our legal consulting group are joining us today to discuss their latest client resource, not a podcast, but a publication. Rachel Arnett and Abby Hendricks. And they are the authors of the latest Aon client publication that began publishing just this year. Rachel, Abby, tell us about the All About Leave newsletter. Thank you, JD, Carrie. It's great to be here. I'm Abby Hendricks, and we are here in part to talk about our immensely popular All About Leave newsletter. As JD, you said, it launched earlier this year. And on a monthly basis, Rachel and I focus on what our clients need to know with respect to state and local programs for paid sick leave, paid family and medical leave, and ERD time off. We cover both developments and pending legislation or policy studies and even a Q&A session and some updated paid leave charts because the list does continue to grow. Now, before you get any further down the road here, Abby, I have to ask you, where did the name All About Leave come from? Rachel, do you want to explain that? Yeah, I can answer that. Hi, everybody. It came from a contest that we ran with our Time and Away and Life Solutions colleagues. We asked them for their best efforts at submissions for a title for our new newsletter, and we all fell in love with All About Leave. And as JD can tell you, of course, that's from the famous movie All About Eve. Which had nothing to do with family leave law if you ever watched the movie. So tell us exactly what goes on with this newsletter. All About Leave, where does it go? I mean, I assume it's not a lot of stuff in federal government, but what about what's happening at the state level, Rachel? Well, we talk about what are the new developments, what legislation has been enacted, and what regulations have come out. And then we also give introduction to things that may be pending, legislation, committees that have been formed to study paid leave. And then we do a Q&A section where we answer two or three questions each month. So speaking of Q's and A's, why don't you tell us about some of the most popular questions you get from employers on paid family leave and paid sick leave? So one of the most popular questions that we get is, can an employer's PTO or sick time policy meet the requirements of the various state and local paid sick leave laws? And our answer is, it depends, which of course is everybody's favorite answer from lawyers. Right. Especially if you can multiply it by 50 across all 50 states. That really really makes it even more interesting. Always. So while an employer's existing PTO policy, for example, might provide enough hours to meet the requirements of the relative PSL jurisdictions, that's paid sick leave PSL for those in the know, the laws may have other requirements that must be considered and that could require a revision to existing policy, like increments of use, 
tracking and disclosure to employees about time used and time accrued and carryover, to mention just a few. An existing standalone sick time policy also might have trouble satisfying those requirements I listed as well. In addition, it may have other compliance challenges, including whether it allows the required breadth of qualified uses, because as those of you who read all about leave know, the sick leave uses are, it's not your father's Oldsmobile. It's not your father's sick leave policy. The leave uses are very broad and it includes care of a family member and the definitions of family member are really broad as well. And one of the other problems that sick leave and PTO policies might have in meeting the paid sick leave law obligations is that the paid sick leave laws apply to pretty much all the employer's employees, whereas PTO policies or sick time policies might be just for your benefits eligible employees. So the bottom line is that an existing PTO or sick time policy ultimately needs to be reviewed against each requirement in all the jurisdictions that you're in to determine whether it needs to be revised in order to meet the law's requirements. So Rachel, when you say the jurisdictions that you're in, does that mean the jurisdictions where you have employees, where those employees work, where those employees live? How is that determined? Great question, Carrie. These laws apply where your employee works. So where they sit or stand to do their work, not where they live unless they work from home. It sounds like that could get complicated pretty quickly. Yes, and especially it became complicated during the pandemic when so many people moved from an office setting to working from home, which could have been in a different city or a different state where they had or didn't have paid sick leave laws anymore. So that became quite a hornet's nest that we've been helping employers work through. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of issues there. Abby, what about you? What kinds of questions do you get that you want to make sure our listeners are watching out for? Well, a few times this year, I've been asked, how many paid family medical leave programs do we have right now? So Rachel and I count 14 programs, either enacted or operating. That's 12 states plus D.C. and San Francisco. And this has really been the result of a continued expansion of these leave laws over the past 20 years, especially stepping up the past few years. So right now we have Colorado, Maryland, and Oregon, which are all ramping up to begin contributions in 2023 with their benefits starting either in 2024 or 2025. And we have Delaware following closely behind with contributions in 2025 and benefits in 2026. Now, most of these programs require employers to participate, at least non-governmental employers need to participate. This includes anything from California, which has been around since 2004, or Connecticut that just started paying benefits earlier this year. Some models are also a little bit different. So New Hampshire's program, which is anticipated to start next year, is going to be voluntary for most employers. And Virginia, we don't even count in our tally because that just allows insurance carriers to sell family medical insurance, but it doesn't require employers to purchase the coverage. So there's really a variety of different models that states can adopt. For the programs that 
require coverage, most allow employers to sponsor their own private plan rather than participate in the state plan. So there still are decisions for employers to make as these programs come into effect. And we've been working with our clients to analyze and determine what's going to be the best course of them by how they decide to participate into the program. But bottom line, we don't see this growth trend changing anytime soon. We have a number of other states uh, that we're watching and we think may have programs in the future. So it's a really important area for employers to continue to monitor. So I think I've heard both of you mention paid sick leave and paid family leave. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the difference between those two. Yeah, paid sick leave is what we all would use for our illness, our own personal illness. But it's recently over the past seven or eight years been expanded to include not only an employee's own illness, but an illness of a family member that the employee needs to take time away from work to care for. Some of the paid sick leave laws also cover absences due to domestic violence. And we have one that even covers time away to take care of your service animal if you use a service animal. But paid sick leave at its base is an employer's payroll practice to pay wages to the employee while they are out for a short-term period for an illness or to care for a family member. Another distinction that we often see between the types is the paid sick leave is typically going to establish accrual requirements or um, tracking requirements, whereas the paid family and medical leaves are a little bit broader and really come through a wholesale program that's going to be covering and providing paid time off for employees who experience one of these events. As Rachel said, the use of that leave is going to be a little bit broader. This is also going to be caretaking leave. This would be bonding leave for a new baby. And the events that each employee can take time off really differs between each program. So it's really important for multi-state employers to be analyzing the types of leave that's required under each different state's program or each different city's program when you're looking at sick leave to understand what their obligations may be. So let me make sure I understand this. For multi-state employers, they need to be tracking the laws in the state's and the localities where they have employees, where those employees either work at the employer's facilities or work from home, then they have to make sure they understand whether it's a paid sick leave law or a paid family leave law because there are differences between those two. This sounds like it gets pretty complicated and a lot to track for employers. Well, this is why we're having this discussion in a bar because, you know, there's really only, you know, there's only so much you can take of it before you order another round. But let me just follow up on what you might be suggesting there, Carrie. We have the concept of ERISA preemption here, and it's a very familiar concept to our listeners. I mean, how much help is ERISA in this area? And I guess second question, to the extent it's not, where do you see this going in terms of federal law laying down some sort of overall blanket across all these state laws? I have lots of thoughts about ERISA preemption of paid sick and paid family leave laws, simply because right now, I think we're at something like 50 or more paid sick leave, paid family leave laws at the state and local level. So it's this crazy patchwork for employers to multi-state employers to deal with. So wasn't ERISA designed in part to avoid the obligation of employers to comply with a patchwork of state and local laws? Yes, but. And the but is 
When we're thinking about paid sick leave laws, there are a couple of reasons that ERISA preemption doesn't apply. But I think the key point to remember is that ERISA doesn't apply to payroll practices. And that's what paid sick leave is. Payment of an employee's normal compensation that's unfunded, so paid out of an employer's general assets, for periods of time during which the employee can't work due to illness. And we've even had courts say that even if an employer were to use a trust to fund their paid sick leave, it's likely still not an ERISA benefit plan. And if something isn't an ERISA benefit plan, then it doesn't get ERISA preemption. So that's why ERISA doesn't preempt the paid sick leave laws. When we're looking at state or local paid family leave programs, it really comes down to a similar issue. One, you have to have an ERISA employee benefit plan. And there typically is no ERISA employee benefit plan involved with paid family and medical leave. Putting aside the issue of whether you might be able to get a private plan to meet your obligations and potentially involve your short-term disability plan. Let's put that aside for a minute. Maybe that's a question for another day, but you have to have an ERISA employee benefit plan. And you also have to understand that ERISA doesn't preempt general laws that only have an indirect effect on employee benefit plans. So these paid family and medical leave laws are labor laws that only have an indirect effect on any employer welfare benefit plan that might be involved. The extent you might be able to get ERISA if you're in a general healthcare situation, this doesn't really seem to help you. Abby, what do employers do in this case? Is a federal law coming down the pike anytime soon that would kind of standardize all this? Well, I think the efforts right now that were behind the paid family and medical leave at the federal level have really stalled. Some states, however, have provided a little bit of help to employers, and that was spread. And it's a different type of preemption. It's from the state to the local jurisdictions. So what that means is preemption in this context, the state law is going to prevail over any contrary local law. And this can happen for both the paid family leave programs or for the paid sick leave requirements. Some states have actually included a preemption clause along with their paid leave program. And that means that employers will only need to worry about the state program. So for instance, the recent Maryland paid family leave law did this. So employers in Maryland won't have to worry about an additional layer of family leave being passed by one of the cities or counties in Maryland. Now, other states that have their own programs did not include a preemption clause. So California, for example, has a sick leave requirements at the state level. And then many, many cities within California also have their own programs that supplement or add to or expand the types of reasons that employers would need to provide sick leave. Also, we have a circumstance where some states passed a law preventing local jurisdictions from imposing paid leave, but didn't actually enact their own law. So Florida, for instance, does not have its own paid sick leave requirement, but it did pass a law prohibiting counties, municipalities, and other political subdivisions in the state from requiring employers to provide or require them to provide their own sick leave. So at least at some level, we do have some protection from employers. But again, it's still patchwork. In your experience, and this is kind of throwing this out to both
both of you. What states do you see is the most active in this area? California. California. That was an answer in stereo. That, of course, is the biggest state. So that really doesn't help a lot of employers who, you know, were hoping to avoid a lot of this. Any states beyond California? And I'm thinking in particular. New York. Just about to ask if New York was one of those as well, because I've seen the New York leave law there. And then also, isn't there a Connecticut leave law as well? And certainly if my paycheck is any indication, something's coming out for a leave law in Connecticut. Yes. Connecticut has both a paid sick leave law, which of course employees don't contribute to, but it has a paid family and medical leave law and contributions started for that at the beginning of 2021. So how often does the All About Leave newsletter come out? The newsletter comes out on a monthly basis. We typically publish near the end of the month and try and cover the things that have happened over the past month. And then hopefully we have a sense of what might be coming just around the corner. So this is something that we're tracking on a monthly basis and getting this information out to our clients so they can keep track of what's going on and what they need to do with respect to their employees in different states, it sounds like. Yes. Absolutely. Given what you said in the last 20 minutes or so, it doesn't seem like you're lacking for any sort of material in that newsletter. Absolutely right. Though some months it pours, most months it just rains. And so on that note, JD, last call? Last call, Carrie, and it's a sad one. As we bid farewell to an icon in the world of political punditry, Mark Shields, journalist, commentator, and columnist, passed away last week at the age of 85. For more than four decades, Mark Shields' blunt views and sharp wit delighted and rankled readers and audiences. He rose to TV fame as a moderator and panelist on the CNN talk show, The Capital Gang. But his longest TV gig was as a commentator from 1987 until just two years ago on the PBS NewsHour, where he matched wits with the likes of William Sapphire and David Brooks. Shields' sense of humor also demolished the self-importance of many public officials on both sides of the aisle. After watching one particularly pompous politician in a candidate's debate, Shields remarked, call that man an empty suit is to slander the garment industry. His sense of humor helped him in working on the unsuccessful presidential campaigns of Ed Muskie, Sergeant Shriver, and Morris Udall, where he said he earned the world's record for writing concession speeches. But his happiest moments, he also said, were working on political campaigns. He once told a reporter, you think you're going to make a difference that's going to be better for the country, and that's probably as good as it gets. Indeed it is. Carrie? And that's our report for today. We'd like to thank our guests, Rachel Arnett and Abby Hendricks, for telling us all about the All About Leave newsletter and for talking to us about the various state laws that our employers need to be thinking about. We'd also like to thank our producer, Don Moorhead, for making us sound way better than we deserve. For all of us here at Aon, I'm Carrie Willis. And I'm J.D. Pirro. Thanking you for your time this time and until next time, the bar is closed.